And good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Hey, I'm Ben Choder, and I am really excited for a couple reasons. One is, I have Lee Carter with me, and she wrote an incredible book, um, you know, Persuasion. Um, I actually read this. The coolest part about this, I had a flight two weeks ago to Detroit, and I read this in one trip, like on my way there and the way back, um, finished the book. Loved it, and then about a week ago, I started to reread it. Um, one of the things that struck me when I first read it, one of the first lines is, it's not what you said, it's what they hear. Yeah. And I think about that all the time, Lee. In everything mm-hmm. I do as a communicator, running a team of 1,300 people um, globally in offices in 17 countries around the world, that sometimes even my own team, I can say something, and I don't really think that they... What they, what they heard, what I said is not exactly what they heard. Exactly right. It's, and it made me really th- think inside. And I do a video every week to my team. And I actually started off with that exact saying from your company, right? And I said, I have to do a better job of saying what you hear, right? And, or at least delivering it, persuading you that what, I'm, what I said and hearing it the right way. And so... I'm just so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I think if you took that away, we're in good shape. <laughs> then I'm starting in the right way. Yeah. And I actually think every executive, every leader, like you actually say it a couple times in the book, I never thought to go to someone like you and your organization. And now, looking at now, forget about this. I want to introduce you to the Entrado Global Leadership Team because we, just internally, selfishly, we were a company called West that was acquired by Apollo, and no one knew who West was, and there's four operating groups, and we've done close to eight acquisitions, and you know, on my side, on the digital media side, we have over 13,000 customers, and we're, neither one, we're number one, two, and three in every area we play, but yet no one knows who we are. So people aren't here, you know, what, what we're saying, people aren't, it's not resonating right. with them. So. And it's, there's just so much noise in the yep. marketplace, in, in our lives, that we, I mean, how do you ever break through and get somebody to care about something? Right. You have to make it relevant to them. We can't just be talking about what's important to us or else we'll never yep. break through and connect. I so. think it should be mandatory reading for, for all executives. So the title of, you, title of your book is very telling about what most people think is the key to good persuasion. Just throw up your facts and, and tell mm. us, you know, you'll win them over, right? Yeah. Why does it often backfire? So what's so interesting to me is so often when I'm sitting down with my clients, we'll start the conversation, and the first thing that they'll say is, if they only knew X, Y, and Z, uh-huh. they would know that we're a good company. If they only understood X fact, Y fact, and Z fact, then they would want to buy our product. If they only, and, and I've been telling them all of these facts, and it's not, I don't understand. So people just want to speak louder. They want to spend more money on the problem. And so what I often say to folks is, look, you know, it's, it's not just about having the best product or the best services, the best offering. It's about having the right language. Right. Because our brains are hardwired, right, to reject things that don't fit into our narratives. Yep. And there's a lot of science behind it, but the bottom line is, in order to be more efficient, humans are designed to recognize patterns. And if things fit into your pattern, you pick it up. And if it doesn't fit in your pattern, you put it down. It's how we get through life. And so that's why if you're just putting facts out there and it doesn't fit into some narrative that's interesting to you already, it's just going to get rejected. Right. And, 
And our instincts are to say, well, I'll just let the product speak for itself. I'll just let these facts speak for themselves. And that's not the way... It doesn't work. No, it does not work. It's like build it and they will come. It doesn't work. No, no. So what prompted you to write the book? Gosh, you know, um, there were, there was a lot of things, but I, um, so I've been doing this for over 10 years now where I, I help clients communicate more effectively. And I've been tracking politics for a long yep. time too and seeing what messages are resonating. And... I, during 2015 and 2016 election cycle, I was tracking what all the candidates were saying and how voters were reacting most and You kind of predicted the winner, too. I did predict the winner. And so a lot of people would, um, would ask me, can you come in and talk to my, my team about yeah. what you're seeing out there? And I wanted it to be something that people could take away and learn from. Um, because no one was understanding what was going on in front of them. And so I, I started a presentation. It was about the five lessons communicators can learn from okay. Trump. It was very provocative. It was intentionally right. provocative. Um, and it just really resonated with folks. It helped people understand, oh, my gosh, this is why in a crowded Republican field that Trump is, is standing out. Um, and so between helping people understand the, yep. the art of persuasion that was happening there um, and what I had done with, with my clients for so long, I felt like I can teach this to folks. And I want it to be very practical. I want it to be, if you, if you go through the steps, you yep. can do it yourself. And so that's how I, I like it. in the back of the book. You actually do, you have like little step-by-steps. I do. Like, yeah, there's know, a workbook. Little, a workbook, like a little homework assignment. And I kind of loved it. Yeah. Because I found myself jotting down and figuring yeah. out what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. So I got a question to tie into it, though. Um, people often align, um, you know, persuasion with manipulation. Yeah. How's it different? Okay. So when, when I was naming this book, yep. it was, it was um, you know, it wasn't going to be called Empathy because empathy, yep. nobody's going to buy the book called Empathy. Um, but persuasion is actually what we're doing each and every day. Basically what persuasion is, is when you're trying to change somebody's mind. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. You're trying to say somebody either has a neutral or no opinion of you or a negative opinion of you yep. or whatever it is that you're trying to communicate. You're trying to change their mind. Manipulation is nefarious. Persuasion is not. Yep. Persuasion is based on reality. It's based on facts. It's based on truth. It's not putting lipstick on a pig. Right. Manipulation is. Right. Okay. How important is empathy, though? Empathy is everything. If you don't have empathy, you cannot win at persuasion. Um, and the, the reason for that is so much of what, you're, we're trying, what I'm talking about here is, you know, if I say it's not what you say, it matters, it's what people hear, yep. you have to understand what somebody hears. And that means you have to have the ability to put yourself into somebody else's shoes. Yep. Now, oftentimes people will come to me and say, there's no way I'm going to have empathy for someone who is pro-gun control. Right. Or have empathy for someone who is so terrible that they don't care about the environment. Right. And so I start out, I always want to make sure that I'm very, very clear. Empathy does not equal endorsement in any way, shape, or form. Empathy means understanding. And in the book, I break it out into three different categories. Because empathy is, is you know, it's not just a feelings thing. Yep. Empathy is really about being able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else, understand where they're coming from. So I say, in order to, to create a message that works, you need to do three things. First, you need to understand why somebody feels the way they feel. You really right. need to understand their feelings. Second, you need to understand their behaviors, why they do what they do. And then the third is what their beliefs and values are. Why do they feel the way they feel? Why do they, what do they value or what do they believe? And this is your triangle, right? 
So the emotions are why right. they feel the way you feel right. is all about the change triangle. Okay. And that is, I think, one of the most powerful tools um, that I learned in the process. Sure. So in the book, um, <clears throat> when you're trying to uncover how somebody feels about an issue, I say whenever you're communicating, you're tapping into emotion. If you're going to persuade, you're going to have to have to tap into emotions. Our emotions are all there for a biological reason. And there's something called the change triangle that's used in, in a certain kind of therapy right. um, that talks about the, the, the emotions that are our core emotions that are good emotions. All of them serve a need. Um, and so anger is an, a core emotion. Anger tells you that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Fear is a core emotion. It tells you that there's something you need to get away from. Joy. That's a core emotion, right. something that you need to keep on doing. You want to tap into all of any of those emotions when you're communicating and persuasion. What you don't want to do is tap into what we call inhibitory emotions. Right. Inhibitory emotions are those emotions that are shame, anxiety, and guilt. Those are the three emotions. And when we disagree with people, right. the fastest thing that we do is try to shame, guilt, or put them in anxiety. I agree. And it's just instinctual. You'll say right. something like, how could you possibly believe right. that? shame. You know, are you crazy? Guilt. You're going into these, if those inhibitory emotions, inhibitory emotions actually drive people to do inhibitory behaviors. That means that they'll bury their head in the sand. They will go out and drink. They will get angry. There's a lot of things that are not productive that will happen when you're there. And yet that's what we often do. And, And you'll see it in politics too all the time when you're having disagreements or somebody's talking about the other, it's often creating a whole category of people that you would try to shame, guilt, or put in anxiety. And you cannot do that if you're going to effectively persuade someone because it's the fastest way to kill a conversation and shut things down. All right. So you did a whole chapter also on the haters. Yes. Why? So, you know, this I think is really important. Um, We do, there's two things that, that, I think we do wrong when we're talking right. about haters. One is we're likely to ignore them. Right. Um, and, and when we ignore them, I think that's to our own detriment because yeah. I think actually listening to them can make our message stronger and better and we're more likely to, to persuade. Um, and the other thing we do is try to say, just give up all hope and say, you know what? We're never going to reach them. Let's just put them all on the other side. And so I find that in... Communication. Yep. So if you're a company that's got a huge, um, you know, say you're a, a food and beverage company and you're out there with certain ingredients that are, um, that there's, there's some people who would never use. So say you have antibiotics or if you, in, your, in your dairy or say you have artificial right. sweeteners, there's people who just say, I'm never going to. A lot of those companies would be very likely to say, we're never going to talk to our haters and our attractors because we're never going to change their minds. But I would encourage them to actually listen to them and understand what is it that they're so afraid of? What is it that's really going on there? And how might you reach them? Because in so doing, you might change more minds, you might neutralize more critics, and you might be able to get more people on your side. Um, And the same thing, I think, applies to our politics. I think we want change to happen so badly, and there's so many people out there who want to see real change happen, whether it's about the current administration or whether it's about things like climate change or whether it's about gun control. People want things to happen. If we're not willing to engage with people who we completely disagree with, change is not going to happen. We're just going to continue to be more and more divided, divisive, and things won't change. And I think there's a couple case studies in the book that I think are really important pieces of work that we did where we found 
there is a way to change people's minds on climate change when you're talking to folks who might be traditionally called deniers. Right. And there is a way to change people's minds when you're talking to people who you might even have at one point thought were somewhat racist. Right. Um, and it starts with listening and understanding. Right. So how do you build, when someone comes to you, how do you build a persuasion strategy? So the way that we, you know, there's, there's nine steps in the whole right. process. Um, the first step is about getting a really clear, big vision. Okay. Um, and I find so often we short circuit on this. People will just say the first sentence in a brief is like, right. our job is to get more customers, is to right. win in the marketplace, right. be number, right. you know, be a $20 million in revenue by 2020. We right. have a lot of, those aren't, those aren't visions, those are goals. And goals are right. important, but I mean, I want you to be able to picture crystal clear exactly what you're trying to achieve. Does it, and it doesn't, exactly. I'm going to guess for most organizations, because if you ask me that question now, I don't think I'd have a clear, decisive answer for you. Does it take a lot of coaching and a lot of meetings for them to come out? Because it's not, it's not sitting there, right? No, it, you know, it, it's just not the way we're programmed. Right. We're programmed as business leaders to think in Excel spreadsheets. Yep. What is my goal? I want to grow you know, revenue by 10% yep. this year. I need to cut costs yep. by whatever. I need we to need... get my EBITDA to a certain point, yeah. right? Exactly. And that's what, but what I encourage people to do is just slow down and picture it. Right. If you can't picture it, your team can't picture it. If you can't picture it, your customers can't picture right. it. You really need, I want, and I want it to be such a clear picture. I remember, and I talk about this in the book, I have a friend um, who... I was out with for drinks, um, and I had just gone through a really bad breakup. And he said, "Look, Lee, none uh, of this is gonna none of this is gonna matter in a few years." Yep. Um, he said, "He said, what's your dream in a few years' time? In ten years' time, what do you want to have happen?" Right. I was like, "I don't know. Gotta, you know, maybe I'll be married, have right. a good job, a couple of right. kids." And he was like, "No, Lee, no. that's not a dream. That's right. lame. Right. Let me tell you about a dream." Right. And he goes in to tell me this picture. He paints this picture where he says, listen, he said, in 10 years' time, I'm going to be taking my boat back. I'm going to have my dad and my, I'm going to have my dad and my brother on the boat. We're just going to be coming back from fishing. And I'm going to be playing, um, and I'm going to be playing Bob Seger Hollywood yeah. Nights. And he said, in, 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 I'm going to be going back to the port. And just as I, in that moment, I'm going to know. I'm just going to know I succeeded. Because there I am. I have my boat. My wife's waiting for me with my daughter. My dad, my brother, all these fish, and I will know. And it was such a visual picture. Yep. And I was like, that? And he says, Lee, that's a dream. And so what I'm telling people is you have to start up by saying, what is it that you really want to accomplish? Very, very clearly. And then you can go through the rest of the steps. Oh, but you didn't tell the end of the story that you put in your book. What happened if, 10 years later when you spoke to him? Oh, well, he sent me a picture, actually, yep. just recently um, from the deck, a sunset of his, uh, off the deck. But, yeah, he has the boat. And he, has, he has a boat, and he has the family, right, yeah, and everything. Yeah. So how incredible is that? And I think part of it is you have to truly vision it to make it happen. You absolutely have to. And you have to be really clear on what it right. is because if you're not clear, you just might end up going off in the wrong direction. And this takes a lot of focus. And so much of this, right, and persuasion is you've got to have your teams following along. You've got to have everybody singing from the same song sheet. So that's a really important part of it. And then, and only then, can you go through the rest of the process. All right. So I want to bring it a little deeper now. So mm -hmm. how do you integrate that knowledge into building an overall persuasion strategy for a brand. The way that you go about doing this for a brand is you really work on exactly what it is that they're yep. trying to accomplish. You start from that, understand what their weaknesses are, be really clear on who the target audience is, understand that target audience in a very deep and meaningful way. 
And then once we have a deep understanding of who, we, who they are, why they feel the way they feel, why they believe what they believe, why they do what they do, then and only then can we create the persuasion strategy, which begins with understanding what is the one thing you're going to stand for. Right. What is your master narrative? Then you have to have a few support points, not too many, only three. Right. Um, and then once you have those things, then we talk about how do you make them visual so that they'll stick? How do you find anecdotes and stories to bring them to life? Right. And then you repeat it over and over and over again. And the master narrative for a company is something, you know, Nike's iconic just do it is an yep. example of a master narrative. But the master narrative that's underneath all of that, right, is it's about bringing out the inner athlete in all of us. Right. Every time Nike shows up, that's how they show up. And so when you're trying to persuade, that's what this is all about. What is your one thing? So, you know, in the book, I talk about an automotive client that we worked with who had always relied on the fact that their cars sold themselves. They stood for QDR. They were quality, reliable, dependable cars. And that's all they wanted to know. But when things got hard, you know, they had a crisis, right. they had a recall, they, the, the cars couldn't sell themselves anymore. So what's the story? What's behind them? So then they wanted to be, you know, the cars of the future. They wanted to be something else. And what we talked about was like, no, 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 what is your one thing. What do you do better than anybody else? So we spent a lot of time with a company and they took us all over to their manufacturing plants and some of the, the nonprofits they were involved, all the good things. And what we saw is they had this laser focus on making things that you never thought you needed. Right. It was like they had innovation. I mean, they're the first ones to make the cup holder, but their cup holders always just work. Right. They design their cars so that you know, they knew that when you were in the back seat of the minivan, that kids have their backpacks at their yep. feet, and that's, you know, you need to design them so that they would, the seats could move back. Women who have purses, they were talking about. Exactly I love right. that. And I think the other one was like your um, sunglasses. Size, right? so the sunglasses. Yep. And so their master narrative became this idea of it's built for how you live. Right. Everything they talk about, it's practical innovation. It's innovation you're going to be able to use. If we're going to get into electric, you know, electric cars, they're actually going to work. They're going to be practical, affordable, attainable, and it's going to be something that you can use. And so it gave them not only a persuasion strategy, messaging that they could use, but also gave them the ability to focus on what kind of examples are you going to bring to life? What kind of things are you going to tell people? Right. And, and once they have that freedom, like then every engineer that's there, every employee can talk about what they do that ladders up to that vision, and right. things become so much easier to get known for something, get famous for something. And so you, you have that one thing, um, it's a rallying cry. Right. And, and then everything else becomes so much easier from there. I think GE famously did that when they changed who they were and made it like, you're not going to GE and I'm working in a factory when you're actually being creative and you're developers. I think yeah. that whole campaign and how it, it spread socially was, was pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, I think Disney does an amazing job of that, too, because, and, and when you think about them, everything about them is an entertainment creating experience yep. for us, right? So they have that clear master narrative, but then everything ladders up to it. You're not just an employee there, you're a cast member. Right. Like, everything is about the one thing you stand for. Right. And that makes everything else work. It makes marketing easier. It makes comms easier. It makes leadership right. easier. It makes it does. all of it work. So cool. All right. So now let's take it the other way around. So when an individual comes to you, whether, whether it's an yeah. individual politician or sure. a CEO of an organization is looking for his own, how does it differ than when you, when you set it up for a brand? It's really similar. I mean, that's right. the thing that was so interesting about writing this book is 
It started out to be corporate communications. Right. This book, no, no doubt. And that's what it was meant to be. And over time, it became more and more personal because right. the same steps in the process apply. People come to me and say, you know, I... Uh, you know, I, I'm going to Thanksgiving dinner right. on Thursday, and I'm going to see my brother-in-law, who is a die-hard XYZ right. supporter. What do I Let's say? say right. Like, and most people's response is to say, "You know what? Don't say anything. Right. Go for a walk." And I say, "No. Have the conversation. If your goal is to find common ground, if your right. goal is to say maybe we can just find a kernel, yep. start yep. go through the same process. So visualize what it's about." Figure out why does he feel that way? What's most important to him? And then you can start moving along for the ride. That is like, that's so cool, especially when you sit back and you think about it. Yeah. Every, everyone should do it. All right, I got one more question for you. Who are some of the best examples of people who are really good at persuaders or who are great persuaders? So I think some of my answers on the political side, right. I'm going to say Obama. Right. And I'll say Donald Trump. Right. So the two last presidents. The thing that I think is really interesting about political persuaders, you will remember what their master narrative was years later. So you will still remember what Obama's is, hope and change. Yep. He was an amazing orator. Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, yep. make America great yep. again was a rallying cry. If you think about all the past presidents, with very, very few exceptions, yep. they've got this down. Because it's almost a national, it's, it's a very, it's a skill that right. politicians have to have, which is to, empathize and yep. create vision. And so um, you see that. I think as far as business leaders that are out there, I think Jamie Dimon as he a financial done a service, great job with he it. has done an amazing Especially job. Especially when he's done like in Detroit and all the other stuff he's done. He's done yeah. all kinds yep. of great things in Detroit, but navigating yep. through the financial crisis, he was kind of the only CEO that was out there not really being defensive. He was like, I get it. This is hard times, right? Right. We, we messed up. He, that, that notion that he got it, you just yeah. felt understood. Um, you know, I think he, as a business leader, to me, really, really stands out. And he's not a client, so I can, I can say this, because my other clients I won't talk about here. But um, I think he is one. I think Howard Schultz. Yep. Um, he, was, he is a natural persuader. Um, you know, he, I think that one of the things that was so interesting about him, when he came back to Starbucks after all these all, all that time. It's a great story in the book. Right. He, <clears throat> he didn't just, you know, he, he came back because Starbucks had lost its way. Yep. Right. And there was the, uh, the everybody's talking about the co- coffee's bitter. It's not the right. same. So what did he do? He didn't come back and say we have a new commitment to coffee. Right. He said, close the doors for a f- couple hours, and I'm going to retrain every barista to make the perfect cup of coffee. Yep. Symbolic gesture. That, to me, is extremely powerful. And those kinds of moments are rare um, and real, and we all remember them. And they have a huge impact on changing your mind. So I think he's another one. I think one of my biggest takeaways when you did a bunch of examples in the book is the ones who were really successful, they didn't make it about them. Exactly. So it wasn't Donald Trump saying, I'm going to make America great. It says, we're going to make it great. And it wasn't Obama saying he was going to do it. It was more about the message leads the way. That's right. You can almost always, you know, it, one of the things that was really interesting back when Obama was running against Hillary right. in 2008, um, I, did a, I did an analysis of, of speeches and the language that was used. Obama almost never said I. He said right. we. Yes, we can. Right. He never said yes, I can. Hillary almost always said I. I'm ready to lead. I'm here to... I'm, right. And 
there's just something really powerful about that right. when it's about you and us versus yeah. me. Well, it's a way to get us all involved because we, right. we want to be part of something. We don't want to just be a follower That's of right. someone. Yeah, no doubt. It's amazing. I mean, I truly, highly, highly, highly recommend the book. It's a really easy read. Um, I just, for my executive team, I bought a copy of this for everyone. Um, they're all going to get it in the next few days. And we're actually going to talk about it on one of my leadership calls because I just think there's so many books out there on how to be a great sales leader. There's, a, there's lots of books on how to run a company and all financial stuff. There's not enough books that help you tell the story. And everyone out there has to be telling a story. So it's just it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank Thanks you. So much. You made my day.